0: The book of Psalm this morning, chapter number 78. Let's stand together as we reverence and read the Word of the living God. I'm going to read one verse to you in the 78th Psalm, but I want you to leave your Bibles open because I'm going to reference quite a few verses out of this chapter. Psalm chapter 78, verse number 19. The Bible says, Yea, they spake against God. They said... Can God furnish a table in the wilderness. I want you to underline that little phrase, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness. Amen. Heavenly Father, once again I stand where I know that I will fail if the power of the thrice holy God does not settle in my heart. Now Lord, I have yielded my mind, I yield my tongue, I yield my heart and my spirit. I pray, God, that you would open up my mind and, God, give me the words that you would have me to say. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I pray this morning for the person that needs to be born again. Save them by the grace of God. I pray for the people of God that they would leave this house this morning knowing that there is still a God in heaven and he can do whatsoever he desires to do. Let your people be more filled with faith because of the word of the living God. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You be seated this morning and I I want you to look at the beginning of Psalm chapter 78. And if your Bible looks like my Bible, in some way, shape, form, or fashion, at the beginning of Psalm chapter 78, it will say something to the effect of a mashil of David. That word mashil is a Hebrew word which literally means a lesson to be taught. Psalm chapter 78 was written by a man whose name was Asaph. Asaph was one of the chief singers in the choir of King David. There are two main psalmists. David was one of the writers, and he wrote psalms like Psalm chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. Every time David would write, you could sense that David was a man after God's own heart. Everything he wrote, Psalm chapter 42, As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. But if David is a psalmist that writes as a man after God's own heart, Asaph is not that same kind of man. Asaph is the man that always wrote with a broken heart. Every time that Asaph was right, you would sense a man that was burdened, broken, battered, and beaten. A man that had been through life. Now, brothers and sisters, here's what I'm going to go ahead and just tell you. I want to be a man like David, a man after God's own heart. But is anybody else in the house that feels a little more like Asaph? You feel like you come to church with a battered heart? You feel like you come to the house of God with a bruised faith? You feel like you come to the house of God with no ability to think straight? And Asaph was writing, and so he gives Psalm chapter 78 as a history lesson In order to teach the current generation the lessons that happened some 500 years before them when that first generation of Israelites came out of Egypt and they walked over the Red Sea and they no more got 14 to 17 days inside of the wilderness and they began moaning and whining and complaining And ultimately, they got to where they were under the judgment of God. Now, I don't know about you, but that scares a life out of me that I could come under the wrath of an almighty God. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of wrath that a child of God comes under that I'm afraid I'm going to go to hell. Honey, I'm heaven bound with the hammer down. I couldn't go to hell if I wanted to. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the kind of wrath that is the displeasure of a father that's disappointed in a son. There is nothing worse than a child of God that is out of fellowship with God because they did not have a right relationship with their heavenly Father. What brought them to that place where something wasn't right? Now watch what it says in the verse that we read. I want you to notice something. Here's what it says in verse number 19. Yea, they spake against God. They said... Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Now, what does your sentence right there end with? Mine ends with a question mark. Is Is that what yours ends with? So wait a second. They asked God a question, but it says they said. You know what they did? They didn't ask God a question. They questioned God. There's a big difference in your life when you're walking with God, when you don't understand what God's doing or why God's doing it, and you say and ask the Lord a question. Lord, why in the world did this happen in my life? Lord, why in the world is this happening to my family? Why in the world am I having to go through this health problem? Why in the world is my marriage struggling like this? Let me help you with something. God never gets mad when you ask him a genuine question. Don't let the devil tear your nerves up and make you think that just because you ask God a question, God, why are you doing this? Lord, why is this happening? Lord, who is going to do this? Lord, why is that occurring? That does not upset God. God is a big boy and his feelings don't get hurt when his children have genuine questions in their walk with him. It's not when you ask God a question, it's when you question God. There's a big difference in saying, Lord, why did that have to happen? You can ask it like this and it's a completely different statement. Lord, why did that have to happen? It's a big difference asking the same thing. There's a lot of us that go through trials and tribulations and fears and worries and all types of things. And we get in those things and we begin to question God. God, why in the world did you have to take that person out of my life? Why in the world did you have to let that happen in my faith? Why in the world am I having to walk through this valley? It's as if we are looking at God saying, I know what's best, not you. And that's where you get in trouble. Brothers and sisters, whenever you get to that place, you become a can God believer instead of a God can believer. You see, God is wanting you and I to get to the place where we look at any trial, any situation, any tribulation, any problem, anything, and look at it and don't say, God can you? We look at it and say, God, I know you can. Where are the people of God that have been through the fire and been through the tribulation and been through the worries and been through the sorrows enough to know that God is good and God is faithful and God will not let you go under and you no longer say, can God? Every trial you now look at it and say, I know God can. I'm going to have to pull my britches up. I feel like it's going to be one of them days. I can already feel it in my bones. Brothers and sisters, what takes a person from being a can God to being a God can? What stops you from making that transition? There were three things that bothered these people. The first thing that bothered these people in chapter number 78 was their sight kept them from becoming a God can believer. Watch what it says in verse number 11 of the same chapter. The Bible says they forget his works and his wonders which he had showed them. Now, honey, they're on the other side of the Red Sea. They had forgotten what God had done to Pharaoh with those ten plagues just a few days before. They had forgotten when Pharaoh would not let them go, how God opened up the heavens and hell came out of the sky. They had forgotten how God brought them frogs up out of the Nile River. They had forgotten how God brought those fleas into those animals and then those animals died with that moraine. They had forgotten how God had put them behind the blood of that doorpost and how he had sealed them in with the blood of the Lamb, and when judgment was on the outside, they were safe and secure on the inside. They had forgotten all of that. Do you know why they had forgotten all that? Because what they were facing right now, they could not see. Brothers and sisters, remember this. God never asks you to go by faith on what you see, but rather on what you have seen. God never wants you to take a step because you can see the next step. God wants you to take a step because you hear His voice calling you over there and you know He has not failed you back there. In order to become a God can believer, you're going to have to walk by faith and not by. Their sight kept them from becoming a God can believer. Let me ask you a question. What is it if you just knew it was on the other side, you would take the step God's asking you to take? There are sinners in this room right now, and you just, if God, if you could just show me if I needed to be saved, I'd take the step. Here you go. He's showing you right now that whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But remember this. God's never going to show you until you step. Because there's no faith in that. And whatsoever is not of faith is sin. The first thing that bothered them from becoming a God-can believer was their sight. The second thing in verse number 20 that kept them from becoming a God-can believer was their safety. Watch what it says in verse number 20. Behold, he smote the rock. Yeah, I know he did that. The waters came forth. I got all that. The streams overflowed. Yeah, I got that. But I'm not dealing with that right now. He says, can he give bread also? You know what they were asking? They were saying, Lord, I got plenty to drink, but you can't eat water. If you can't eat water, you're probably living in a Democrat-controlled water system, I can tell you right now. If you can eat the water, it's chunky. They said, now look, I know. I know he gave water, but I, I don't... I don't need water right now. I'm hungry, and I need bread. Can I help you with something? It's real easy when you tell somebody else to take a step of faith, and you've got no skin in the game. It's a whole nother beast of a different sort when you look at yourself and say, yeah, I know I told them to take a step of faith and they didn't have money in the bank to take that step of faith in that business. I know I told them to take a step of faith when they needed to go down to the altar and get saved and everybody was going to look at them, but it'd be okay. But now here I am and I've got to take a step of faith and it's my sanity that's on the line and it's my safety that's on the line and it's my children that ain't going to have no bread in their belly. It's my job that I'm going to lose. But ladies and gentlemen, remember this. God never asked you to go anywhere he's not already at. When Peter was called to step out of the boat, John, James, Thomas, Judas, and the rest of them had never been there. God's not going to ask you to go somewhere if somebody's already been. But you'll never go anywhere where he's not already at. Peter, Lord, if that's you, bid me come. Can I help you? It's real easy for me to stand up here and look at you and say, Trust God, it's going to be okay. I ain't feeding your youngins. It's really easy for me to tell you to step out in faith and start that business. I ain't buying your chickens. It's another thing when you're sitting where you're at having to take the step. And if you don't get over the fact that it's going to be okay when it all ain't okay, you'll always stay a can-God believer instead of becoming a God-can believer. Nobody understands walking by faith. Like I do. I've been there. I've walked. I've stepped out. I've done this. I've walked away from this. I've stepped out of that. I've been there. And I wish I could tell you it was easy. I wish I could tell you there ain't going to be some bumps in the road. I wish I could tell you everybody's going to understand it. I wish I could tell you there ain't going to be any problems. I can't tell you that. People are going to misunderstand you. People aren't going to understand what you're doing. People aren't going to like what you're doing. Your mama may not like it. Your daddy may not like it. Your mother-in-law may tell you you're out of your mind and your babies are going to starve to death. I wish I could tell you you weren't going to have none of that. You're going to have all of that. I wish I could tell you your friends would love it the fact that you got saved. I I can't tell you that, but I can tell you this. You'll never go anywhere that when you get there, He's not already waiting on you. Our God is always faithful. But in order to become a God-can believer, You've got to get over the fact that it's not okay and it will be okay even though it's not okay when you think it's going to be okay. you just to have to realize God's got it. I'll tell you the third thing that really kept them from becoming a God-can believer is found in verse number 21. It was their sorrow. Watch what it says in verse 21. Therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth. So a fire kindled against Jacob and anger also came up against Israel. You know what happened? There was a group of people that had murmured against God and God sent fire out of heaven and wiped out an entire row of people. You know the problem? Those people that got judged, we don't know their names, but they were somebody's brother. They were somebody's mama. They were somebody's cousin. And that group that was left was broken hearted over what had just happened. And you know what they thought? God, I didn't think that was going to happen. And if I take this step, how do I know it's not going to all break loose on me? I'm going to tell you, the hardest thing you'll ever do is getting over a broken heart and walking with God. The hardest thing you'll ever do, those of you that have walked through the fire of divorce, is trusting that God is still in control when your entire world's falling apart. When your children go astray, it is the hardest thing in the world, trusting God that it's all going to be okay. Whenever you go down to the grave of somebody that you love with all of your heart, you're going to go down there with a broken heart. And every time you pass by that cemetery, a piece of you is laying six feet under the dirt. And yet God is still dealing with you. And God is still calling you. And God is still working with you. And you're over here saying, God, it never turned out like I thought it was going to turn out. My family's as broken as they've ever been. How in the world, ladies and gentlemen, we live in a messed up society. We live in a broken world. There's a lot." Lot of sorrow. There's a lot of broken hearts. People have to go through divorce. People have to go through death. People have to deal with disease. People have to walk away from sorrow. They have children that betray them, but remember this. At the end of the day, this day is not over. I know it looks like this is the end of it. I know it looks like this is all there is to it, but our God is calling you to the other side in spite of the sorrow. He's calling you to the other side in spite of the brokenness. He's calling you to the other side in spite of the fear. You've got to keep on going because the wholeness you desire waits on the other side where the God of heaven is calling you. Boy, it's awful hard to walk with God when you're sulking in your own sickness and sorrow. It's hard. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm not the guy that sits up here and tells you, get over it. Have faith in God. I'm telling you, you're going to have to get through it and have faith in God. There are some things in this life you'll never get over. You've got to learn to have faith in God and get through. Can God? God can. Is he able? Yes, he is. You say, but what can God do? I'm glad you asked because I'm going to load them up and blow them out as fast as I possibly can this morning. Number one, what can God do? Number one, God can clean you up. Notice what it says in verse number 22. Watch what it says because they believe not in God. They trusted not in His salvation. Now here they are in the wilderness. There's a sun up above them but they can't see the sun. Do you know why? Because there's a cloud between them and the sun. And when the night comes, they look up and they cannot see the stars. Do you know why? Because there's a pillow of fire up above their head and they sit there under the protection of God, under the tutelage of God, under the umbrella of God's ability and power. And they say, I don't even think God's able to take care of me. I don't even think God is able to take care of my issues. I don't think God is able to take care of my family. And God looks at him and he says, are you out of your mind? Don't you remember? I am the God that brought you out. I am the God that saved your soul. I am the God that brought you forth. Whenever Pharaoh had you under a mighty hand, I broke Pharaoh's arm with the staff of my power. And when you did not have a protector between you and the destroyer, I put you behind that doorpost and I wiped the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and the lintel and when the blood was over you, the destroyer passed over you. And yet you wonder, you're behind the blood and you wonder if I can clean up your situation. I can clean up your life. You're here today and you're a wretched rotten vile sinner. Your mama's done with you. Your daddy's done with you. The church is done with you. Religion's done with you. Ladies and gentlemen, you're looking and you're saying I don't know if God can handle me. You've got to remember, you're not the first person that's ever been where your at. You're not the first person that's ever had the problems you've had and here we are on this side of the blood. We're on this side of the doorpost. We're on this side of salvation and the greatest assurance that you have that God can take care of anything is the fact he's already taken care of the biggest thing. I ain't got no money to pay my bills. You don't have anything to pay your sin debt and that's already been paid and the God that paid that debt, don't you think he can pay that over there? I don't know that God can put my family back together. You were on your way to hell, and God saved you by the blood of the Lamb. He's already taken care of the biggest mess. What makes us think He can't take care of your mess? But here's what will keep you doubting. When you doubt and forget to trust in the God of your salvation. Do you know the problem with Baptists in the Bible Belt? We forget how rotten and wretched we were. We lo- Boy, I love Christians who have a big old vocabulary full of conjunctions. You ready? I was on my way to hell, but I wasn't as bad as so-and-so. I was lost, but I wasn't as bad as so-and-so. I drank a little, but I wasn't as drunk as so-and-so. You know, at the end of the day... James said, if you offended one point of the law, you are guilty of the entirety of the law. If there's a liar in this room, you're just as bad as if you committed adultery, as if you'd murdered a thousand people. Do you know why? Because there are no little sinners and big sinners in the eyes of an almighty God. But I remind you right now, I'm on my way to heaven. I could not go to hell. The devil's got no power over my life. The angels have got no power over my life. The demons have got no power over my life. The Baptists have got no power over my life. People over there don't have any power over my life. And so if God has already handled the biggest mess, can He clean up any other mess? Can God? God can. Will God save me? Well, He saved me. And He saved some other wretched, vile, rotten sinners in this room. And so I'm pretty sure if He'll save me and He'll save them, God can save you. Number two, God can't just clean us all up, but number two, He can take care of any need. Can I show you something in verse number 24? Watch what it says in verse 24. Now, they were hungry. And watch what it says in verse 24. He rained down manna upon them and had given them of the corn of heaven. Man did eat angels' food. He gave them manna and then he sent them angel's food and then they had the corn of heaven. Manna, corn of heaven, angel's food. Manna, corn of heaven, angel's food. You ain't getting it where I'm going. Manna, angel's food... Corn of heaven. I'm trying. They ain't listening to me. They ain't going with me. I'm going to talk to Terry. These boys over here seem to be the only ones with me. When God uses three different things to describe the same thing, he's trying to show you something. Manna, corn of heaven and angel's food all describe that bread that fell in the wilderness. So why would Asaph... Remind that generation that God is able to provide for them because he sent for them one thing that was represented in three phrases. Manna, corn of heaven, and angel's food. Are you ready? Here's how. Because you've got to understand how God takes care of you and me. The first thing is manna. Do you know what manna literally means in the Hebrew? It literally means in the Hebrew, what is it? They walked out of their tent that morning and they looked at this wafer on the dirt ground and you know what they said? What is it? They never figured out how God made that and sent it to them. Let me tell you something. You've got a need in your life right now and you are spinning your wheels trying to figure out how it's all going to work out. You've got your mind spinning in a thousand directions trying to figure out how it's all going to come together. Let me help you with something. If you can figure it out, God ain't the one working it out because God's ways are higher than our ways. God's thoughts are greater than our thoughts as the heavens are high above the earth so are his thoughts high above ours. You can't figure it out. You can't work it out. At the end of the day, when you become a God-can-believer, you take your hands off of it, you stop sending those text messages, you stop making those voicemails, you stop sending those little Facebook reminders, you stop vague booking and sharing all these statuses hoping that they get the drift and you step back and say, God you're the same God that fed that generation out in the wilderness even though I don't know what it is, I know you can do it. What is it? There are things that have happened. I still have no idea how Ray Ferris got my phone number. I have no idea. I have no idea how that Tuesday night, Troy Pete said, Hey, man, we got an opening. We need somebody to come preach. I have no idea how I ended up in Memphis the night before. What is it? Can God? God can. Stop trying to figure it out. But then the second thing he says, he didn't just call it manna. He called it the corn of heaven. Now, I got to be careful in moonshining country talking about corn. Why would he call it the corn of heaven? Here's why. Because corn don't grow overnight. If you want an ear of corn at the end of the summer, when you got to plant it? Back in the spring. It's not something that just pops up overnight. Listen, they cried for manna this day. God sent it the next day. But what they needed to understand is God had been growing that corn, that manna that he sent in a proverbial way. He'd been preparing that thing long before they ever needed, long before they ever had a need. How many of you have ever seen God answer a prayer and you had that need today, but the answer had been in the work long before you ever had that need? You know why? Because there's a God and the Bible says he is everlasting. Do you know what that means? That means he's as much in today as he is in yesterday and he's as much in tomorrow as he is in today. I'm in this moment right now. I'm not in the next moment yet. I'm not in the moment I was just in. But here I am right now and I'm seeing what I see right now. You got a great big God. He's already in your tomorrow. He's already in your yesterday and he knows what you need and he's already working it out. Listen to me. I prayed for a wife from the day God called me to preach. I didn't want no ugly woman. I didn't want no woman going to cause a bunch of trouble in the house of God. I wanted somebody that loved God, loved me. I didn't care if she could cook. I didn't care if she could clean as long as she could kiss. Say amen right there. I didn't care what she was. You can hire a cook and you can hire a cleaner, but boys, you get on that kissing thing and hiring that, you're going to get in big trouble. If that makes you nervous, we're in for a long road together, beloved. (laughs) I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And one day I met her. But what I didn't realize is the day I met her, the beginning of our journey, was the ending of where God had been bringing her from. What you don't realize is God is a backstage operator. God is not out there on the front showing you everything He's doing. You see, while the curtains are closed on the situation you're praying over, God's behind the stage orchestrating pieces and moving things around and moving this person over there and moving that situation over there and giving you that thing right there and moving that over there. Our God one day is going to open up the curtain and you're going to see that the stage of your situation has been long set, long before the curtain ever rose. God was working. He said, I sent you the corner of heaven, but then number three, He said, I sent you angels' food. Do you know what that means? It literally means it was sweet. When God finally shows you what He's been working on, it'll be sweet. Do you know what they say about that manna? Pastor Troy, they say that that manna, every one of us have different dietary needs. Some people are low in vitamin D. Some people have an issue with vitamin C. Some people have got vitamin B12. Some people have got cholesterol, this. That didn't just occur in America. People have always had dietary issues. But that manna was the same. How did that one piece of manna take care of them and them and them? Because it wasn't baked on earth. It was angels' food. It's made in heaven. You know what the Jewish writers say about that manna? They say that when it hit the tongue, it was exactly what that palate needed to feel quenched. To some people who have a sweeter palate, it was sweet. Some people have a saltier palate, they say it was salty. To the person that has this issue, it was that. Here's what I'm saying. I can tell you an answer, but my answer may not be what God's working out in your life. But the good God of heaven, he knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly when you need it. And he knows exactly how to bring it your way. And our God is able to provide anything. And so today on this altar, lay it before God and go from being a can God to God can. God's wanting you to wake up in the morning and look at problem in the eyeball and not doubt one time saying, can God? Looking at problem in the eyeball saying, I know God. Let me give you number three. The third thing that God can do is found in verse number 26. Our God is able to show you something bigger. Tyler, what? I want to show you something. And if you jump off the wagon, you're going to miss it. Can I show you something in verse number 26? Here's what happened. Those people got bread, but after they got the bread, what they want then? They wanted meat. They wanted bird. God said, I'm going to send you so many quail in the morning, you're going to look up in the sky, and they're just going to fall out of the sky. Watch what it says in verse 26. Do you know how God sent those quail? Look at what it says. He caused an east wind to blow in the heaven, and by his power, he brought in the south wind. Those quail flew in from the east and from the south. They wanted meat. God had something bigger in mind. Now, I told you I got a wild imagination. Go with me. You see a big old, I was going to say a herd, but I don't think birds are herds. Big old flock of birds flying in from the east. When one's flying in this way, is south parallel or perpendicular to east? It's perpendicular. That means when one is running this way, you know what they wanted? They wanted meat. God was showing them. You see, God is always trying to show you and I the bigger picture we're looking at one thing God is showing a bigger thing they looked up and because they could only see the little bird that was going to fill their belly they missed the bigger picture and that was the work of Jesus Christ in their life you see you and I go through sorrow and we go through brokenness and we go through pain and we go through issues and we see that little thing do you know what God is trying to show through you and I he's trying to show the work of Calvary and what the grace of God has done in our lives ladies and gentlemen you and I see a divorce. You and I see a death. But you know what God's trying to show? He's trying to look at the angels around and the people on this earth and he's wanting them to say, look at my child. Watch what he's going to do versus what everybody else does when they go through that sorrow. They get mad and they get bitter and they get broken. Watch what the cross has done in my child right here. They get upset. They cuss my name. Watch this child right here. They're under the same burden. They're under the same brokenness. And in Instead of getting in my face, they get at my feet. Instead of getting angry, they just pull up closer to me. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever had this feeling about a bad thing that happened in your life? The divorce, the death, the disease. The devil makes you think something like this. God must be mad at you. And that's why you went through that. Maybe we're thinking about it wrong. Maybe the reason God let you go through that is not because He was mad at you, but because He trusted you with it. He knew if He put that same burden on so and so, they would cuss the name of God. And that's why the devil's trying to get you to cuss the name of God. But there's something that rises up on the inside that says, though He slay me, Yet, will I trust his name? A righteous man falls, but he gets back up. The Lord has given, and the Lord taketh away. Job, curse God and die. I can't. God, you've given, and you take away. Blessed be the name. Of the Lord. You see the problem. That's going on around you. God's trying to show the cross. Through you. You walk down to the grave. And Troy they put that dirt over that casket. And everybody else looks and says. How can they. Still have joy in their heart. Even though there's a tear in their eye. Because they've gone from being a can God to knowing that God, He can. God is able to perform a greater work in your life. Don't just look at the problem. I look at these teenagers, I look at these college kids, these single mothers. The row that you have to hoe down is difficult. And it leaves your spiritual hands quivering under the blisters of this world. But every time there's a blister, the sweet balm of Gilead is placed on your life. I wonder where the people this morning in just a moment that'll step out of their seat and bring a handful of burdens and say, God, I don't want to ask anymore, can you? I want to start saying, I know you can. Let's bow our heads this morning. Beloved people of God, we go through hardships and we go through heartbreaks and we go through pains and trials. And the devil wants us to ask, can God really do that? The Lord is trying to show you God can. This morning, all across this congregation, already on the altar of people, but sitting in your seat, would there be somebody here today that would say, Tyler, will you pray for me? I'm struggling. Slip it up, put it right back down. My goodness. Put it up, put it right back down. Wonderful. Put it up, put it right back down in the balcony. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody that says, Tyler, will you pray for me? This morning, you're here in this congregation. You've never been saved. Tyler, what do I do? God can save you and God will save you. There are so many people on this altar. In just a second, we're going to stand. As soon as we stand, I want you to come to this altar. When you get down on this altar, Pastor Brandon's going to take a Bible. He's going to show you how you can know you've been born again. You can know the joy of the Lord. Let's stand all over the congregation, all over the congregation. Brother Troy is going to sing, let's do business with the Holy God. You come right now.